We're going to pray. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that uh, we can trust you. That you are committed to your word and that you've, you've, you've made it so that your word is what you are bound by. And you choose that of your own accord. Tonight we thank you that what you say is true. And that we can truly, truly follow you according to what you've said. I pray that as we teach tonight, you give us a spirit of revelation. That we understand things from the Spirit. Holy Spirit, that you would be talking to us. And I realize I'm teaching from this outline, but I ask you to, you to speak to us. That we hear something that you have to say to us tonight. Father, we tonight want to pray a blessing on this home. Lord, we believe that you uh, bless this house. We believe you bless those who come in and those who go out. God, we give you honor for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Praise God. Well, I'm going to share a few things. Let me just say this. Um, I'm pretty much an all or nothing kind of person. And I either have a lot of passion for something or no passion at all for it. I mean, I, that's just the way I am. And so if I ever come across like I'm being harsh on something, it's because I am really passionate about it. And I think we need to know that, that God has, has something still great in store for America. And I think we need to be passionate about not just being patriotic, but about being Christians in this hour for this land. You know, this country was established based on Christian principles. And the church in this hour needs to rise up. And uh, we, just, we just need, we need to see God move among his people. You know, I don't think we can pigeonhole what revival looks like. I know one thing I've, that we always see in revival is repentance. And we see people repent and, and come to God. But there are other things that, that we, our nation needs that right now. But we need other things in, in the church, and we need, we need for God to move in our land. So I'm going to begin with this verse of Scripture in Matthew 24, verse 4. The Scripture says, Jesus, Jesus is talking, it says, And he answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. That's an interesting statement. The disciples had come to Jesus, and, and he was talking about the last days, and they were asking for signs of his return. And they're asking about that. And he, the first thing he says is, take heed that no man deceive you. Now, he's talking about signs. And we understand what signs are for. And it's not a real deep theological discussion about signs. Signs point to something. They tell you. They give you information about something. They, they, they're, they're important. If you see the sign that says exit 31 in one mile, and you're supposed to exit there, you begin to look for that. And so there are signs in the Scripture. And we can look at throughout Scripture. The Scripture talks about signs of the times. And there are signs. But they're asking about signs that we'll know about when, when Jesus will return. The very first sign he told them about contained a clear warning of a wide-scale deception that would emerge in the last days. And so he's not telling, that, telling us that to make us afraid, but he's telling us about that so we can prepare for it and guard against it. If you ever think that you can't be deceived, you're deceived right now. Okay, because deception 
Uh, Jesus talked about even the very elect can be deceived. And so we need to pre be prepared and guard against it. He said, take heed. Take heed that, you, that no man deceive you. That means beware of it. Look for it. Make sure that it doesn't happen to you. The, the, word, the word deceive is an interesting Greek word. The Greek word is planao, which means to lead astray or to wander off course. It can depict a single person or a whole nation or a group of nations getting off course. They veer from a position that they once held to be true. And I think that that really speaks a lot of the culture that we live in today. Our, our country, it seems to have veered. It, 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 it points to a person or a nation who, although was once established on solid ground, is now morally drifting and teetering on the edge of a crooked, dangerous path. I'm talking about people that once believed something, and now they don't believe it anymore. Some of someone who's lost their bearings, drifted off track. Uh, uh, I mean, it's some of somebody who is either in the process of departing, who is already departing what they morally believed in the past. I mean, it sounds very much like America. Mm -hmm. Sounds very much like the church in America. That 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 it, it's is. You know, when Jesus said the, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy, the word steal there in the Greek is the Greek word klepto, which literally means to pilfer a little bit at a time. And that has been the exact ploy of the devil for generations in our country, uh, in our churches. It's a little bit at a time, a little here, a little there, almost like some kind of a, a, a tree mite in the middle of a tree that you can't see it from the outside, but a little at a time, and then one day you touch it and the tree topples over. And so deception is kind of like that. There's a scripture in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10 through 12, and it says, And with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's a pretty strong statement right there. He's describing distinct events in this particular chapter that are going to occur at the end, talking about when the when this man of perdition is revealed and talking about things at the end of the age. And he's talking about that there is deception that comes with, with aggression and intensity. I mean, the world's population, he's talking about, would become so ensnared in deception that they would be controlled by strong delusion. That's, a, that's, that's an interesting statement. That's happening as, as we speak tonight. Delusion, the word is, is, is plane, which comes from that other word, planao, which, which, which is similar, similar words to the one in Matthew chapter 2, verse 24, verse 4. But it's talking about a culture that has strayed so far that it has become beguiled, bewitched, duped, and seduced. They're beguiled. They believe a lie instead of the truth. And, and that seems to be what we see a lot of. So here's the answer. We must know the word. We must know the word. My concern is for a generation that doesn't know the word. We must know what the Bible teaches. Churches must teach the Bible. We must have a revival of the Bible. 
people need to know what does the word say. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Talking about end times, the only hope against deception is the word of God. That is the only hope against deception. I mean, I realize the Holy Spirit will lead us, but we've got to have the Word. Without the Word, there'll be deception. I mean, to focus on, on, on experiences and feelings and, and those types of things will lead the church into deception. It's not, a, it's not a good thing. People today, more than any time I think in my lifetime, need to be trained for war. There's a spiritual fight that is going on for the hearts and minds of, of, of a future generation. And they must be trained for war. I mean, there is a war for this nation. There's a war for our cities and our families. We must know how to stand and fight. We must know how to fight in the spirit. The wars in the spirit realm, we've got to know how to use the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith in the time that we live. We've got to know it. We've got to have that. All right? If we're... If the church, it seems we're so afraid of offending people that we fail to train them for battle. And when we do that, we're doing people a disservice. I mean, it, it amazes me when people who are living in obvious anti-scriptural lifestyles can come to our churches and be comfortable for months and even years without making a change. Can I tell you what that means? We're not teaching the Word. Yeah. Not even about their subjects. Listen, the Word of God, the Scripture says it divides. It divides between the soul and the spirit. It divides between the, the thoughts and the intent of the heart. It divides. And I'll tell you, people can come to church that's teaching the Word, and the Word of God by the Holy Spirit will convict them of a lifestyle that the, the preacher never even mentions from the Bible. Because the Word does that kind of work. It amazes me that people are not even affected by it. And you say, well, yeah, but at least they're coming to church and hearing the Bible. No, they're not. They're coming to church, but they're not hearing the Bible. Because the Word does a work. I mean, it, it, it does something. I mean, they're, they're, Tammy and I went to listen to a presentation of this ministry one time where all they do, this whole ministry does, all they do is they take the Bible they translate it into the native tongues of languages that have never heard the Bible. Okay, they translate it, and then they have solar-powered uh, instruments so they can play it. And all they have is the New Testament in most of these countries. They take the New Testament to a village, and they just put it on a table, and they begin to play it. And we're talking about people who don't have TVs and Internet and all those things. They begin to play the Word of God. And they said in almost every village that they have the Word, just the Gospel of John, and they're just every night, people come out and they listen to it. In almost every one of those villages, the men quit drinking and beating their wives. And you can't find it in John where it says, don't beat your wife. <coughs> But the Word of God does the work. It changes the heart. It does what it's supposed to do. You see, we, we've, get, we've got to have that. I heard, I heard one time a couple of elders at a, at a local spirit-filled church, and they're discussing a, a service, and, 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 and this conversation that was going on, one of the elders lamented that, that, uh, that, 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 that they never prayed in the Spirit together. 
and the other elder. This is talking, a spirit-filled church. And the, other, the elder who was the leader of the prayer ministry, he said, well, they didn't want to offend the ones that didn't pray in the spirit. I'm thinking, elders of a spirit-filled church that don't pray in the spirit. Are we afraid of that? How can they wage war if they're not praying in the Spirit? How can that ever happen? You see, we're so afraid to offend. We're so afraid that we might hurt somebody's feelings that we leave out huge chunks of the truth that people need to survive. I remember giving advice to a a young person one time and they were wanting to marry this guy and, and, and I said, can I just ask you a question? Is this is this guy spirit filled? Well, I know, I know, I don't think so. I said, wouldn't you want to have a man who's spirit filled when your child is sick with a fever that can come in that room and fight a fight in the spirit, praying in the spirit over your child? And she's like, yeah, that that would be good. Then don't be embarrassed. We need to be people who aren't so afraid of offending them. That we give them the truth. I mean, coming out of this shutdown of the economy and all that stuff, listen, it's going to be deadly for churches that don't make changes. If we decide we're going to go back to the way it was and pretend it never happened, we're fooling ourselves. There's got to be something. We must have a new normal. There must become an aggressive church that is violent enough to stand for God. I mean, people have got to know the promises of God. They've got to know how to advance the kingdom by the use of His Word, by praying in the Spirit, by praying in the understanding, using the arsenal that's available to us. There's a war being waged right now for the conscience of this country. And the church, right now, we're, we're trying not to hurt people's feelings. I get it. If we don't hurt their feelings, they'll come back and they can get saved. That's great, and they need to get saved. But can I tell you, if you catch them with a watered-down gospel, you have to keep them with a watered-down gospel, and they'll never know how to survive in the spiritual warfare that's going on today. Amen. That was really... I feel better now that I just said it out loud. We can't be deceived. We've got to have what the Word of God says. We've got to take a stand in the hour we live. Now, I read these, these verses last time out of Revelation chapter 3, and I'm going to read them, and we're going to continue looking at this again. And it actually goes with what I just said. The Scripture says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, and Jesus is talking, he says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. So Jesus is writing to the pastor of this church. These things saith the Amen. We talked about last time, it says the, capital T-H-E, Amen. The Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou art cold or hot, so that because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. This is an interesting statement here. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and sup with him and eat with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me on my throne, even as I overcame and am set down at my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Based on that last statement, Jesus is saying not everybody can hear it. You've got to have an ear that's tuned in to the Spirit, to what he's saying to the churches. We began looking at this last time when we talked about Laodicea, that, that many theologians, uh, they parallel that church of Laodicea to the church of the United States and the church of the end times. And, and, and they parallel those two things. We talked about how that, that Laodicea was a very, very wealthy city. I mean, they had more than anybody else. They had banking and textiles and a medical center. They had markets and theaters and a 60,000 seat stadium. And I mean, they had all kinds of commerce. It was located in what's called the Lycus Valley in Western Turkey between Hierapolis and Colossae. I mean, it, it was a wealthy, wealthy place. Jesus, as we, as we said earlier, he's the amen, which means he is the final answer. Whatever he says is the answer. He is true. He is the one. He is the word. All right. He's writing this pastor and he said, I know thy works. Basically, he said, I have personally viewed your church and I'm going to tell you some things that I've observed about your church. I've got a few things to say to you. And, you know, I just wonder what he would say to the pastor of the United States or to Lubbock. We need, what, does he, what does he see? Jesus found, and we talked about this last time, that they were neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm. We talked about that there was freezing cold water coming from Colossae. They've had it at the foot of the mountains. And there was boiling hot water from Hierapolis with all these, these mineral pools and, 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 and volcanic activity. And they, they built the, the clay pipes and they brought the water in. They decided they'd have the very first city to have hot and cold running water. And they had it come in these clay pipes. And by the time the cold water came from, from, from Colossae, and it got there in those clay pipes. It had to travel 11 miles or 15 miles. And then they had the hot water coming from Hierapolis, boiling hot. And by the time it got the 11 miles in, in that journey in those clay pipes, and they thought, we got it. And they took the first drink of it, and it was neither hot nor cold because it cooled off or heated up, one of the two. And they took a drink of it, and it was awful. And they spewed it out of their mouths. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm disappointed in your flavor. I'm disappointed in, in, in what you've become. You're no longer this cool, refreshing place. You're no longer this, this hot, healing place. You're, doing, you're just blasé. There's nothing there. He said, I'm disappointed in that. He found them to be distasteful is what that, what that scripture is saying. I mean, Jesus is the one who said it. I, I, I didn't. All right. Now, that's how it ends in verse 16. And if that passage stopped in verse 16, it would be a sad passage. I mean, it would be terrible if that's all he said. He said, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. See you later. But he didn't. Thankfully, there are other verses that go. He's not condemning this church to hell, and he's not telling them he hates them or they're no good. He wants to bring them to the place of their destiny, and that's what this letter is about. He wants the church to cooperate. So we're going to continue tonight to look at this lukewarm church and just, just see. First of all, let's look at what they thought. Verse 17, it says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. That's a pretty big statement. I am rich. The word sayest means to speak with great confidence. With great confidence, they said, 
I am rich. I am increased with goods and I don't need anything from anyone. Oh man, that's pretty arrogant, huh? It says I am. That literally, it literally says I exist. But it has to do with, with, with saying I am and this is of my own doing. I did this. I did this myself. The word rich is a great word. It's plusios, which means rich, wealthy, abounding. The word is capitalized in the Greek, and it's pretty unusual to have capitalized words in Greek. It's capitalized, and it literally says, I am the rich. I am the rich. I am the richest one. I am the wealthiest one. There is nobody that's wealthier than me. Here's what they're saying. We have made ourselves the wealthiest of all. We are self-made people. This is of our doing. We're the richest of all. They probably were with dollars and cents of all the churches. But they're, that's, that's what they're, they're bragging. We are the richest of all. By the, by the second century... This church, they've discovered a church as they still continue to excavate there. They found a 22,000 square foot church. Massive church building. I mean, it was immaculately decorated. And the columns they've discovered are, are carved and they're beautiful. I mean, they were rich. They, they were just so rich. And they were like, we did this. Look at what we've done. They said, I am increased with goods. This Greek word is pluteo. It means to be rich, to have abundance, to have great possessions. Again, this word is capitalized, and it says, it's saying, we have made ourselves to be the ones who have the most riches and the most abundance. We have made ourselves to be that way. We don't need anybody else. Obviously, Jesus thinks they're talking to him because he wasn't in the church that we read later on because he was at the door knocking. He said, we have no need of anything, have need of nothing. I mean, we require nothing. We don't, re we don't require anyone to help us with anything. We've done this by ourselves, and we don't need any help from anybody. Oh, man. Well, you might want to be a member of that church. I mean, they don't... You know, I guess they don't, I'm sure they're taking up offerings because all those people are rich. That's why they're rich because they're doing that. But, you know, there are no needs. They probably have the best children's ministry available. I mean, they don't use flannel graphs. I mean, they're using like like live productions on their stage every week. And, and I mean, they, they've got everything, everything they've got it. They don't need a thing. That's what they said. They seem to have forgotten what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17. It says, and thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand have gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear to thy fathers as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou do it all, forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day, you shall surely perish. I mean, they're saying, we did this. And God is saying, in Deuteronomy, he said, don't forget me. Don't forget. And when all that stuff comes, you say, oh, look at our programs. Look what we have done. Look what we have made with our hands. They seem to have forgotten Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. And he addeth no sorrow with it. Literally, it says, the blessing of the Lord, it makes rich, and all your hard work won't do anything to add to it. 
You can, you can work and work and work, but it's God's blessing that makes you rich. And we as believers, we need to understand it's God that does it. And the moment we take our eyes off of him and begin to focus on us, I'm amazed at people that are Christian people who say, well, I've got to work on Sundays. I've got, I've got to work seven days a week because I, I can't afford to take off. They forget that it's God that makes them rich. It's God that's doing it. Working on the Sunday isn't going to make you any richer than not working on the Sunday. It's God that does it. Our faith and our, our dependence has to be on God. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed, empowered to rise to the highest place are those who are utterly dependent upon God for everything. Theirs is the kingdom of God. It's, he is the source. He is, he is the only one that we can trust in. He, it all comes from him. I mean, here this church is. They're in the Lycus Valley. They're rich. They're saying, we have made ourselves to be the richest church in the world. Nobody is more wealthy than us. We don't need any help. Here's the thing about the, these three churches in the Lycus Valley. There was a church in Hierapolis. There was a church in Colossae. And there's this church here that, 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 that we're talking about. In this valley, it was different than the rest of the world. The rest of the Roman Empire, the church suffered persecution. These people didn't have persecution. The Roman persecution never reached to Laodicea. Well, there were trickles of it every now and then, but it, by and large, they were untouched by persecution. There was some in Hierapolis. There was some in Colossae, but not very much. By the time you get to these rich people, there was no persecution whatsoever. I mean... They had it made. Nothing hard. Everything was good. I mean, no persecution. They were rich without persecution and considered that they had no need whatsoever. Now, I'm just going to tell you, had I not just told you all of that, and as a much younger pastor, that would have been a great church to be the pastor of. <laughs> I mean, they're rich. They don't have any needs. But it turns out they're very poor. Because, see, not everything is physical. Not everything is material. It amazes me how much the church focuses on what is physical. How much the church focuses on what is financial. I get it. We need seats. We need the things. But what is the focus? These people didn't need anything. It was all to them about the need being met physically. That's what they thought. Jesus saw something different. He said, And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Knowest not is, is a compound word. It comes from the, the two Greek words, uk, which means an absolute negative. Knowest means to perceive with the eyes. In any of the senses, Jesus said, You are absolutely ignorant of the reality. You are absolutely deceived. You absolutely just don't get it. They had all their needs met. But he said, you don't get it. He saw something that they were totally ignorant of. He saw they were spiritually destitute. Spiritually. They had everything. I mean, they were destitute. Simpson, he said, you, he said, you are wretched. That sounds pretty serious if Jesus calls you wretched. Actually, that word is also capitalized. And so he says, you are the wretched, the most wretched. The, 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 um, the Greek word uh, telaporos means to be in trouble. 
It means to be calloused. He said, you are in the most trouble. You are the most calloused. You are calloused. You're calloused. You ever had a callous? When I was in the first and second grade, we learned to write. And I've got this callous on my finger here. I mean, they told us if we did it right, if we did it properly, we wouldn't get the callous. Well, my teacher was right-handed, I'm left-handed. She couldn't figure out how to teach me to hold that pencil. And I developed a callus on my finger. And many of you may have it. I don't know if they even do it anymore. I don't even write anymore. I think they just type everything. But I have a callus there. I've had it since I was a little boy. And, and if you have a callus like that, you know that um, there's no feeling there. I mean, I remember being a little boy sticking a needle through there. Mm-hmm. And people and people, <laughs> people like, ooh, that's oh, doesn't that hurt? No, I'm tough. I just didn't have any feeling there. There was no feeling in my finger. And still, it's that way right now. You're all going, yeah, you're right. It's <laughs> the way it is. Because we got the calluses from trying to hold the pencil. And, you know, my poor teacher, she's like, no, you're doing it wrong. Okay, how do you do it? She couldn't tell me, so I just did it wrong every day. <laughs> calluses have no feeling. There's no feeling. This church had come to a place where they had no feeling. They were calloused. They didn't feel anything. They weren't the least concerned about their brethren going going through persecution throughout the world. They weren't concerned about the churches that were poor. They weren't concerned about those who had terrific need. They were so calloused that they were unaware that Jesus was no longer in attendance. They didn't even know it. They didn't know that he was outside. They, they weren't aware of the reality that they were no longer a place of refreshing. They were no longer a place of healing. They didn't even know it. They had become calloused. And my guess is they were having great services. In their minds, it was great. They were great services. I mean, they had a great building. Oh, man. Great sound system. Mm. I mean, I bet they had a massive fog machine. I bet it was so massive it covered the city. I mean, all the romantic lights that would come, make you feel like God was there. Their social media presence was second to none. Mm. They had the best singers, the best musicians, the best instruments. Oh, man. Coffee bar. Oh, they had to have a coffee bar. They had to have a coffee. And you know what? They had a bookstore. They had to have a great big bookstore. And the pastor had his books in there. Oh, man. They had everything. But Jesus said, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You don't even know what's going on here. You are so destitute in the spirit. You don't know. Nobody knew. Apparently, the pastor didn't know. I mean, you know, he was probably driving his new Jag to church, you know, and his little private garage and his office with his private bathroom. and Nothing wrong with any of those things. Nothing wrong with any of those things. As long as you know. And you know Jesus. I mean, these people didn't know. They had no idea. I wonder... 
what the conversations have been like the last couple of Mondays and Tuesdays in church staff meetings across America. I wonder what they've been like. I wonder what they've been talking about. I've been a pastor. I know what I'd have been talking about probably. How do we get these people to come back? How do we get the money to come back? I mean, what can we do to survive? I mean, we've got to do something. What do we got to do? The question needed to have been, how do we get Jesus back in our church? How do we get him back here? How, how, how can we change this so that Jesus comes? I mean, Jesus said it clearly in John 12, 32. He said, if I be lifted up, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. You see, people need to be drawn to Jesus. Not to the lights, not to the smoke, not because we have the best worship band on the planet. But there's got to be a change in the thought process of, of church. It's about Jesus. It really is all about Him. If He is not there, we are wasting our time. And we are most miserable of all people. It's got to be about Jesus. Mm. You see, while the services seem dynamic and exciting, this church had become dull and calloused. And they didn't even know it. In this room, I'm a... Remember the good old days? The charismatic renewal. Remember that? Those were fantastic times. I remember, you know, I was 18, I guess, when I got spirit-filled. I mean, we were radical. Oh, my, we were so radical. We'd go to the Baptist church, and we'd see their dead religion. And we're, <laughs> we're like, I'm never going back to that. I mean, they out singing out of a hymnal. Pshaw. Oh, they got some piano and organ. What is this? It's just dead religion. It's just crystallized into dead religion. We vowed that that would never happen to us. But it has. It has. In today's world, you can't tell the difference between a contemporary mainline denominational church and a spirit-filled church on a Sunday morning. Unless you read their literature, you sure can't tell it in by what's happening in the service. Amen or oh me, one of the two. Why? Because we're afraid to offend somebody. We're afraid to say, you need to be saved and you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and you need to pray in tongues and you need to be able to cast out demons and you need to be able to fight a spiritual fight because this is not the vacation for the rest of eternity. We've been left on this planet for a purpose and we've got to figure out what that planet is. God is raising, I believe he's raising up right now an army of people who aren't going to fit the mold. And we're going to be amazed at who they are and what they do. I mean, you can't tell the difference. The passion, unfortunately, in, in a lot of church seems to be for the church. And how we look. You know, we're, we're kind of like Peter when he saw the layman. Look on us. 
need to quit. It's not about us. It's about Him. And Jesus must be the center and the focus of what we do. Man, just because we get them born again, we've got to impact our society. We've got to get these people born again. We've got to get them born again with the real gospel. Why did you get saved? Well, if you get saved, you can, Jesus has a purpose for your life, and it'll all be good. That is a bunch of bull. I've been saved a long time, and not everything has been that good. Here's why we got saved. Because we were sinners. And there was only one answer to our sin. And that was the blood of Jesus Christ. Who died a violent, bloody death. That you and I might receive the new birth. And we might have forgiveness of those sins. I realize this is pretty hard stuff that I'm talking about. But we got to understand something. We didn't get saved just so everything would be okay. We got, when we got born again, we enlisted ourselves in the army of God. We became citizens of a different kingdom, and we represent that king in all that we do. We're not waiting till we die to go to heaven. We are ambassadors of heaven here and now, and we take heaven wherever we go. Not just play in church. I don't mind the comfortable chairs. We were talking about the pews outside a few minutes ago or in here, how uncomfortable those pews were. I don't mind the comfortable chairs. But I'll tell you what, we need to get off our derrieres when we leave there and do something for the kingdom of God. It's not about our comfort, it's about his kingdom. And that needs to take place. Man, we can't reach them with this watered-down message because we'll have to keep preaching it over and over and over again. Because we used to, we, used to, we went to this church growth seminar one time, and the way it worked was when they came to your church, after your service, you took milk and cookies. Well, it was just cookies, but we said milk and cookies. That way they'd come back. Because here was the deal. They came, and then you touched them with, with cookies. Then that was good to touch them with the cookies. Finally, the Holy Spirit, I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit. It might have been me. If you catch them with milk and cookies, you've got to keep them with milk and cookies. And you've got to give them milk and cookies every week instead of the bread of life. And that's, listen, that's what needs to be the hook. That's what needs to be what people get. Jesus said these people, he, he, he said, you don't even know. He said, you're in huge, huge trouble. You are calloused. Then he said, you're miserable. <laughs> Man, he wasn't very complimentary right now. Miserable means to be pitied, to be pitiable. They weren't commended for their activity. They were pitied for their lack of healing. And refreshing. He said, you need to be pitied. Yeah, you may have this great children's wing, but you're pitied. He said, you're poor. The word poor means abject poverty, reduced to begging. This is the part that hurts. Powerless. Helpless. The church is no longer a place of power. That's why we didn't like the denominational churches when we got spirit-filled. They had no power. You know, we were praying for people. They're getting healed. Their arms and legs were growing out. I mean, all kinds of stuff was happening. Now we're pretty dignified. And I get it. There's, there's, there's got to be decency and order in a church service. But there's got to be power. I mean, where are the miracles? Where is the supernatural? 
I'm not talking about the spooky. I'm not talking about the sensational. We get a lot of the sensational. We need the supernatural. We need, we need the miracles. I mean, we don't need a clever sermon. We need Jesus in the church. We need the power of God in the church. I mean, he said, you're blind. The word blind here doesn't just mean not able to see. It literally means to have your eyes removed. They were, they had, they, their, their eyes had been removed. There was no way they could see. I mean, you could even turn on the light, they couldn't see. It means to have your eyes removed. You said you're naked. This is a big insult to these people. They were so rich in Laodicea that everybody wore all kinds of nice clothes all the time. I mean, that was a big deal. Can you imagine how it is in some churches they go to church to show off their new clothes? Imagine that church. The richest church in the world. And you're going on Sunday morning and it's, you know, Jesus said, you are stark, raving naked. You are to be ashamed because you're not even wearing any clothes. It had become lukewarm. Lukewarm. It had lost sight of the spiritual. And it had replaced the original call and zeal with what couldn't be seen with natural eyes. They lost it. They didn't even know they lost it. They were unaware of it. Man, they had no flavor, no impact, no healing, no refreshing. Ooh, that's all bad news so far, huh? But Jesus hadn't given up on them. The next verse, he says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. I love this next part. That the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. He said, I don't want anybody to see how shameful you are. I want to cover you up and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. I like it. Jesus is saying, I counsel that this, this comes from two Greek words. The Greek word here is, 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 is sumbuluo. And it means to take advice jointly. It means to recommend or determine jointly. It comes from the Greek word sun, which means together, and the Greek word Bulluo, which means to advise, deliberate, or resolve. Jesus is saying, let's get together and let's see how we can jointly come to the place where we can remedy this situation so you will once again be the place of healing and refreshing. They messed up bad, but Jesus wasn't just flushing them down the toilet. He said, let's get together here. Let's, let's come to a place where you can come back to that. He said, by of me. He's saying that he alone is the place to go to get back what they've lost. Only him. We've got to get it from him. We've got to return to Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus. Years ago, Tammy and I went to a church um, in the Metroplex. Uh, it was a, a shepherding church. If any of you know what I'm talking about, it was it was that. And so the focus was on shepherding. It wasn't on Jesus. And, and so uh, you know, it was all about your uplink, so to speak, and it was a little bit like Amway of the church. And so, you know, and so the higher up you were, the more linklings you had below you. We went to that church, and, and the Lord kind of finally revealed to us that we needed out of it, and we'd been there. So we went to this church uh, in Amarillo, and uh, we got there. And I had met this pastor. I, I was doing a radio show, and this pastor 
no, no, I went to the radio show yet. This pastor, uh, we went to see him because a friend of mine told me I need to meet this, meet this pastor. So I went to meet this to meet this pastor. So we're at this church. I'll never forget that Sunday morning. He spoke about the woman with the issue of blood. Simple sermon, all about Jesus. We were both almost in tears the whole time because it was all about Jesus. Jesus the healer. Jesus the savior. It was all about him and it was so refreshing. I mean, it's like our spirits got a bath. I know our souls did. I mean, it was all about him. We need that Jesus. We need the Jesus of the Bible. We need him. People don't even know who he is. They have no idea. You see, in the church, over the years, we've, we've decided to carefully measure the amount of Jesus that we have. Because we don't want too much Jesus. We might be considered strange. I remember back in the 70s, we were very strange. And we didn't really care. I get it. We, we, we learned to control that, that fire, and now it should be a blazing coal, but it needs to be, there needs to be something that we're not in control of. I mean, it's like, I remember when we were kids, we'd pull up to the gas station and say, I need $3 worth of Ethel. People were like, I need $3, $3 worth of Jesus. Not a penny more. Just this much. Not enough to excite me beyond what I can control. But just enough to get me by. See, we need Jesus again. We need to be in love with him. I mean, we need Jesus. He said, buy of me. The word buy is the word for redeem. And he says, he says, I'm the only market you can come to. I'm the only one that you can get this. I like that. He says, go, he talked about gold tried in the fire. Now, I've heard lots of people preach on this verse. And it's like, yeah, see, God wants to put you in the fire. So you can go through some tough things. And He didn't even say that. The gold is in the fire, has been through the fire. The gold is, he's not talking about persecution and poverty. He's talking about pure 24 karat point nine nine, actually 1.000 gold. See, when gold comes out of the ground, it's not pure. Did you know that? If you get a gold nugget out of the ground, it's got all kinds of junk in it. It has to be refined to make it pure. I mean, it's refined with heat. And I mean, when they heat it, they burn out all the stuff to make it pure. To make it absolutely pure gold. You see coins that, that, that say 0.999%. Well, that's, that's because they're not brave enough to say they got it all. Well, I'm going to tell you, if Jesus burns it out, it's 100%. And it's pure. He's talking about gold. He said, he said man, he said, he said, I want you to buy this gold from me. I want you to make an exchange with me for that which is pure. He didn't have a problem with their money. He simply had a problem with the place money had in their lives. He said, I want you to buy it. Now, I, I was thinking about that. I thought, well, what, that's, that's, that's interesting. What does the Bible compare to gold tried in the fire? Is there something else that it says about gold tried in the fire? Yes, there is. First Peter chapter 1, verse 7, that the trial of your faith, talk about your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He's talking about, in that passage, he's talking about going through the various things that prove our faith. Prove it. 
Paul talked about faith that was unfeigned. Talked about faith that was real. Jesus is, is, is saying, listen, you need to get from me real faith, not the fake stuff. Real true faith, true belief. See, faith is like a $20 bill. You don't know if it's real until you try to spend it. I mean, if you have a counterfeit one and you've got a, an astute person at the counter, they're going to say, it's not real. You're not buying that from me. Jesus said, I want you to get the real thing. It can only come from the Word of God. Jesus is the Word. If we want the real stuff, it has to come from Him. It can't come from, from the stories about my fifth grade childhood. It's got to come from the Word of God. I mean, the only purpose of faith that is real is to get God what He wants. He wants you healed. He wants you delivered, but he also wants a lot of other things, and it's going to take faith to get those things. I mean, it has to come. It, we use our faith to enlarge the kingdom, not so much to get a new Mercedes, to enlarge the kingdom. All right? There's never a time in our lives when we should quit walking by faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. We should never come to the place where we have so much money that we say, I'm rich. I don't need anything from anyone. You see, we may not, in this room, we may not have to have faith to pay our rent. We may not require faith to get gas money, but we need faith for a nation. We need faith for a war that we're in. The church is in trouble. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Listen, God can make it without America, but America can't make it without God. We must have God in America again. We've been lulled to sleep over the decades by a friendly government who stood for our rights. Today, that simply is not so. It's not so. Oh, we have a, a, a president who's for our rights, but there are governors across our nation who still have churches closed, still have limitations on Christian activities. I mean, the, the House of Representatives is not Christian friendly. I mean, there is this woke, cancel culture out there. They're not for the church, and they're not for you and me. We must buy gold that has been tried in the fire that is the real thing that we can stand on. We got, we, there's got to be an advancement of the kingdom. Well, that's as far as I'm going to go tonight. <laughs> Next time we're going to talk about some other things we can buy from Jesus. We're going to look at, at Jesus rebuking and his chastening. It may not be what you think it is. We're going to look at repentance. I mean, there are a lot of people out there today who say Christians don't need to do it. We're going to, we're going to look at that just a little bit. Then we're looking at that, hopefully we get there this far next week, the famous verse where Jesus is at the door knocking. We're going to try to get that far next week. So let's pray. Father, tonight, I thank you that you have not given up on your church. Jesus, I thank you that you love the church. You're with the church. You're standing with us and you're hoping and knowing that we're, we can hear your voice and turn to you in the time in which we live. We pray tonight for a great move of God in the church, the real church of Jesus Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.